0: Before Grace Point was was probably really selfish, um, all about me and, and all about Sarah and what what life had to give to us, instead of what we had to give. Um, we took so many things for granted, just you know the the, the simple things of life, just uh, you know food on the table or, or just gas in the tank. It's just you know whatever you whatever you had, you spend or whatever. You, you spent, you used up, and it really didn't matter what happened tomorrow. It was all about today. But uh, after Grace Point, um, coming to Grace Point was quite a challenge for me anyway. Working in Fayetteville, you, you drove by the, the billboard on 540, the Grace Point billboard that, uh, out near Lowell, and every day you'd pass by it, and, and it just looked inviting. It looked like, uh, It looked like something was happening or something was going on. And Sarah had been invited a few times also, and she she made the comment that you know maybe that's a church we could we could check out or just see what's going on. Being unchurched at the time, um, just kind of being filled with ourselves, and I mean that got to the point where it was it was old. It was not very productive. Um, something that that she and I came of the realization at some point that you know we need to make a, a change in our life a, a lifestyle change and that's when we attended our first service at, uh, at Reagan. The, um, the new members class um, we attended and Sarah was she she was jumped on board immediately she, she said yeah this is something we need to do. She kind of looked at me and she says aren't you gonna sign it and I said not yet. I don't. I don't think this is the right time for me, and so I was an attender for probably three years or four years before I ever made the commitment. And uh, I wondered if if I would see my face on the screen as being a new member, and and I was a little bit embarrassed for for waiting waiting that long. So I remember calling calling you and 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 saying, hey, I'd like to become a, a member of the church. Can I sign my uh, my covenant membership? And then I was in. Grace Point for a few years uh, still taking that a tender role I guess you could say and not really being a part of it of um, a few social functions with the church and things like that and, and then Sarah she was already into the, the children's ministry at that point um, and she says why don't you come in and, and just help me because somebody's going to be out that particular day and I said ah, it's really not for me I don't think I don't think it's something I want to do And she goes, well, just try it. I did, and I remember that that first day that these kids were just all buzzing around. There had to be 12 or 14 of them. You know, and this one little girl, she just climbed right up on my lap, and she said, who are you? And I said, well, I'm, I said, Sarah, who am I? She goes, well, you're Mr. Don. And so at that point, it was was little Ashley. And um, it just kind of grabbed your heart at that point. It's just something that is is kind of still with me today. When when one of those little kids call you by your name and, and just latches on to you, it's it's quite a feeling. I've been t- teaching and helping and serving. This will be my fifth year. Well, she's she's all. Share has always been um, uh, a, a very enthusiastic person. Mama! Either 100 uh, percent or nothing. It's it's kind of all in, you know. I'm going to get wet. I'm going to get soaked, you know. Uh, and that's kind of the way she was. Um, and I can remember when when she started uh, getting involved in ministry at, at Grace Point, that uh, just to, the way she would talk or the way she would act when when she would get home or we would get home, and what a reward it was for her. And, and she talked about it not only Sunday afternoon, but Monday and Tuesday and, and Wednesday. And by Friday she says, I can't wait to get back and do it again. Um, and and that's that's the way that I guess it, it made contagious for me was to, to know that she had something that I didn't and there was something that I was missing. Um, and the more she got involved, not only in in preschool ministry, but uh, mission and uh, her work in the mission field and the different retreats that she would go on and eventually becoming part of the staff at Grace Point. Um, it, it, it was almost like a race that I was losing because I was missing out. And I had to find a place to get plugged in. And, and fortunately, the the, um, the ministry with the preschool is, is where you know God chose to put me and where I think it's been the most rewarding. That's that's what happened to me, and that's what happened to Sarah. You know, it was just that daily constant reminder. Just as even that still small voice says today, what what's right and what's wrong. If Sarah was here right now, um, <laughs> she, she would probably be in a position where she could stomp her feet and point her finger and says it's the right thing to do. Yeah, you know, if it's it's not a problem that we have here. It's an opportunity, people. And that's, that's the way we've got to look at it. Because it's not, for, it's not for our benefit, but it's for their benefit. And I think that's what you would say. <sighs> wow.
1: You know, one of the great things about my, my role in Grace Point is I get to be a part of hearing so many amazing God stories. I get to hear stories like Don and Sarah and just to be able to see the progression of their life and and to see it go from unchurched to church to serving to serving to to going to to doing so much and not stopping. It it just is a blessing. And, and I really feel as we get ready as we talk about this opportunity of growth needs that we have here, as Don alluded to, I don't want to go there yet. I think we need to stop. I think we need to stop and just pause. You know, there are natural pauses in life that you come to, and on those pauses, you just got to stop and, and take time to reflect, to revisit, and hopefully as you stop and reflect and revisit some of these God stories in our case, they will actually catapult us into the future, because sometimes we 're so future oriented we 're so tomorrow thinking and we 're so get on past yesterday, you know forget it, move on that we sometimes miss the beauty the tapestry of God taking broken pieces and making a beautiful mosaic it, it, we cannot see we have a problem we have a problem in our in our culture it's a, it's a It's a horrible problem. It's a growing problem. It grows greater with age and time. I've heard recently that if you'll eat blueberries, it'll help fix the problem. I don't know. I eat a lot of blueberries. Hopefully, I won't have this problem. But the problem is so bad that we have literally named one of our neighboring towns after this problem. When somebody has a Bella Vista moment, what are they having? They're having memory problems. That's right. They can't remember something. Now, I'm not picking on Bella Vistans. It's just the way I've heard it be. All right? That we have a problem remembering things. And I think in our day and age, we are having a problem remembering things. And so, what have we done historically? We put monuments out. You've got the Washington Monument, you've got uh, the Vietnam Memorial, you've got so many monuments all around Washington, D.C., just to help us as a nation to remember the heritage, the history that we have gone through and to memorialize those who have given so much for that. I don't want to lose that. Now, I'm not saying we're going to start throughout our land here, start plopping down memorials to help us to remember. I think there are other things that we can do. We need to be far more intentional about even the daily things. But then there's those reminders that whenever you see these, you know what they are. Whenever you see the... Golden arches, you know what the golden arches are for. Whenever you see the little swoosh, you know what the swoosh is for. Whenever you see those rings linked together, you automatically know. Marketing has it figured out that if we can brand you with this, you will remember it. They've learned and they know the power of memory. Do you know the most two recognizable logos for the past 50 years have been Mickey Mouse's ears and Coca-Cola. That is absolutely, globally speaking, people know those just simply by the big ears and by the Coca-Cola sign. What am I saying about this? I'm saying we have got to do something, not just something, we have got to trigger something in us that causes us to go back and to remember. Psalm 77:11 says, "I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old." Psalm 63 verse six says, "I will remember you upon my bed and meditate on you." These are reminders to us that we need to remember. We need to stop, we need to reflect, we need to revisit, we need to relive, we need to be re-energized, we need to rejoice. We don't need to just simply move past. And just move on. We need to stop. Now I know stopping is not natural for us. And I know reflecting is really not natural for us. In fact, moving on and moving up and moving to the right and to the left, or excuse me, up up and to the right, is really what we just focus on. But really, I want us to take the month that we are entering into, and I want us to remember... I think, Mike, that's really not that important. Oh, but it is. Because the opposite of remembering is forgetting. And what's the problem with forgetting? Is when we forget, and Satan would love for us to just forget and move on, he would love for our anxiety to be on tomorrow then we end up doing what the people of Israel did in the book of Judges which is a horrible testimony of what God did through the people and what how they remembered is that the people of Israel did not remember the Lord Judges 8:34 and their God and they had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies when we don't remember we forget and the problem is is that I'm afraid that we tend to forget what we need to remember and remember what we tend Need to forget. I want us today to put on the brakes. I want you this next week. I want you this next month. To develop inside of you. A discipline to stop. To slow down. To reflect. To remember. I know there's anxieties tomorrow. I know there's fears about tomorrow. But maybe if we would take the time to back up. And to remember what God has done. It would give us encouragement, hope. Vision for what he can do in tomorrow. I've spent a past several weeks literally going page by page through the scriptures, looking at one single word. I believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of scripture. That means that I believe that every word of scripture, as God gave it to the writers, was inspired by God. I believe Proverbs 30, verse 5, where it says, Every word of God is flawless. And that I believe that every word, we can go down to studying literally the very words of Scripture and draw out tremendous meaning. Sometimes we look at verses. Sometimes we look at paragraphs. Sometimes we look at sections and chapters. And sometimes we just look at books. But sometimes we need to drill it all the way down to the micro of the word. And so what I've done is I've taken some time and I've looked at the word remember. Remember looking at the word remember and you just start unpacking it i looked at different 25 different bible translations of how they translated the word remember and there are over 5684 different times now i have gone through the scriptures and i have read at least from one translation if not from multiple translations every time the word remember is translated Now, it takes a lot of time to read through that many verses of Scripture. But as you're reading through them, I'm gleaning, I'm looking for trends, I'm looking for things that were missed. I'm looking for things that God had to tell them to remember. I'm looking for opportunities that we can be better at our memory of remembering what God has done so that we can look to the future for what He has done. Because I've been under conviction. We're getting ready to go into this building, development phase of our church well, we need to expand our campus. You know, it's never been our goal to have three gatherings. It's been nice to have two gatherings. That way, we can mix and mingle as we're passing through the lobbies. That way, we're not wearing out our staff. As three services was only the overflow. We've had overflow in preschool. That's why we have the trailer park out outside the village, as we call it. There are so many ways that you can look at. it. We have grown to the point that we need to do something. You might say, "Look at this room; it's not full." Granted, if you look at three services, yes, but we want to bring it back to a tighter community. More to say on that in the future, because I don't want to go to the future today. I want to look at the past, and I want to draw from the past, and I want to learn from the past, and I don't want to move past the past too fast. So take your Bibles and look at First Chronicles may take you a while. You may open it up to the very first page and find what page it's on because Chronicles is probably one of those books you haven't read from a whole lot. In fact, the pages may be stuck together. Feel free to look at the page number of your Bible. If you have my Bible, it's on page 346. But I doubt if you have my, my Bible. So be finding the book of First Chronicles chapter 16. And I want us to look at just one of the many times in Scripture that he calls us. To remember. Now, the setting here before we go further is that David is built, rebuilt the tabernacle tent. All right, this is important. This is really important because the worship of God had kind of dwindled. The ark of God had been stolen by the Philistines. They had, they had had control of it, thinking that they could control God. They found out they could not control God. They gave it back to the Israelites. So the Israelites took it from them, however you want to look at it. And here it is. They get the ark back, and they take this ark in to the tabernacle. And as you come to this passage, I want to read, just to give us the context, verses 1 to 3, and you follow along in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. And they brought the ark of, the, of God. And they set it inside the tent. David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord and, dis- and distributed all, all, all of, to all of Israel, both men and women, to each a loaf of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. I want to give you the context that we're going into as we study this. And just a couple of bullet points if you think about this passage. I want you to notice that there's a place involved here. I want you to notice when you look at this uh, this passage of Scripture that a place is important. That God is always meeting with people in places, whether it's the Garden of Eden or the Tabernacle or ultimately the Temple. Whether He's meeting with people along the Damascus Road, transforming their lives. God is constantly meeting us at places. This is a sacred place that I hope that God meets with you on a regular basis. I hope you have a sacred place in your home where you meet with God on a regular basis. Places are important. But as you go on and you look at the passage, you also notice that there was an offering that was taken. David leads the charge there. You notice how many times the word offering is used? Offering in verse, uh, verse, uh, excuse me, verse one is used twice. Offering in verse two is used three times, three different times in verse three, and two different in verse two, and two different times in verse one. He brings up an offering. Offerings are important. Offerings are not mandatory. Offerings are an opportunity. I would say that every believer, every follower of Christ, needs to be regular about bringing offerings to God. It's not something that I'm creating. It's something that has been in Scripture since the beginning of time. You look back to the sons of Adam and Eve, and there was an issue over the offering. You look all the way through the book of Revelation, you'll find offerings from the beginning to the end. It needs to be a part of a follower of God. But also you'll notice that there's food. Now I just wanted to throw that one in there. But it is interesting that at the end he gives out bread, meat, and raisin cakes. I don't know what a raisin cake looks like, but, and I don't know what the meat was, but if it was fried chicken, I guarantee you these are Baptist meeting uh, here at, the, at, this, at this function. So he's handing out meat, he's handing out food, and they're coming together with this offering. But now let's go down to verse 8. Because in verse 8, we pick up where David begins to speak. And it's a song that he writes. It's actually even recorded over in Psalm chapter 105. And so when you want to study one, study the other. Because it's actually almost a duplication exactly of it. But I want you to follow along as David begins to break into this prayerful, spiritual thanksgiving. He says, oh, give thanks to the Lord. And call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Tell of all His wondrous works. Glory in all His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. I want you to read verse 12 with me. Remember the wondrous works that He has done. His miracles and the judgments he uttered. Verse thirteen: O oh, offspring of Israel, his servants, son of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Now read verse fifteen with me. Remember his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousands of generations, thousands of generations. Listen, I hope today that we will develop something today that's probably not the most scary challenge I will give you. It's not like pack your bags and go to Mali. It's not like pack your bags and go across the street and, and, and share the gospel with your neighbor. It's, it's, it's not even breaking loose and tithing, all right? It's remembering. It's stopping our lives long enough remember the word in the hebrew language is zakar and it it has actually several different translations one obviously is to mark or to remember something with by marking something like like you would a memorial or a monument but another one is actually it literally means a scent you remember when you walked into Grandma's house growing up, it either smelled like mothballs or it smelled like uh, like a uh, 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 homemade pie or something like that. You, there are certain scents that you have out there that whenever your scent picks that scent up, it brings back memories. I can remember living in Africa and smelling the African rains. It was so sweet, so much sweeter than it is when you smell it here in America. It was like almost you needed an insulin shot. It was so sweet. The African rains or is, is an aroma that brings back memories. Have you ever taken time in your life to just every now and then stake something in the ground and say, God has done something here, and I don't want to miss it? When I look at Don and Sarah, I see them as a stake in the ground of our first decade. decade—a first decade of a church that says we're going to be a church for the unchurched. But we don't want simply you to be unchurched. We want you to become church. We don't want you to be just come and be an attender. We want you to be a part of the army. We want you to serve. We want you to make a difference in people's lives. And as you see the progression of their story, a God's story, it's just one marker in the ground. Where's your marker? What has God done in your life? Have you stopped long enough? Will you stop long enough to let God show you and remind you some of the things that He has done in your life. Again, I, I know it. I'm the forward thinker kind of guy, so it really grates against me to even think about stopping. But what happens when we stop? There are advantages that happen. And again, I learned this through this word study through the Bible of just from Genesis to Revelation of understanding the word remember. And I really learned some things that have helped bring value to my own. Slowing it down, Mike. Putting on the brakes. Reflecting. Here's some advantages. You might jot them down because it's not just simply remembering. It's, it's actually remembering and reflecting. But here's one of those. When we remember and reflect, it keeps us humble. All right? That's an advantage. When we remember and we reflect, it, it keeps us humble. See, greatness doesn't usually produce greatness. sad to say. Humility produces greatness. I like the way... Walt Disney said it about himself. He says, as far as I can remember, being a celebrity has never helped me make a good picture or command obedience of my daughter or impress my wife. It doesn't even seem to help keep fleas off our dog. And if being a celebrity won't give me one advantage over a couple of fleas, then I guess there can't be much to being a celebrity after all. It would be really easy for Walt Disney to look at his life and to say, look what I've done, look who I am. But he just comes down to it. He says, listen, I'm nothing. I can't even keep fleas off dogs. And sometimes I think as we go through life, we think we become something because of our, our skill, our networks, our, our abilities. Our, 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 what, what was it that made you great? And I'm afraid that sometimes if we don't take time to stop and reflect, we will think our greatness is of our own doing. But God has done things in our life that's only because of His grace and mercy. It's interesting, when you read the book of Deuteronomy, when you read the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 5, verse 15, 15, 15, 16, 12, 24, 18, 24, 22, this many times... Moses writes to the people of Israel. This is after their, their, their freedom, by the way. Okay? And what does he tell them to do? Remember, you were a slave. Remember. You remember the day, Israel, when, when, when everybody told you what to do? You remember when the day when, when the Egyptians would come by and they would beat you just because you looked funny at them? You remember the day that you couldn't even go out at night because of the curfews? Why is Moses telling them again and again and again and again that they need to remember that you were a slave? It's because the tendency in our human nature is to think that we got where we are because of something that we've done. And we need to remember it's what God has done. We are where we are as a church, not because of some great pastor. Not because of some great scheme. Not because of some great strategy. I absolutely, with all my heart, believe that God has simply shown us favor. Now, I don't think you can ignore strategy. I don't think you can ignore disciplines. I don't think you can ignore that. But I absolutely believe that there has been God's favor upon us. The Egyptian people didn't let them go because the Israelites sweet-talked them. That's why Moses says, go back and remember you were a slave. Some of you in this room today. You need to go back and you need to remember that there was a day you were a slave to something. There was a day that you were held captive to something. There was a day that you had no control. And God has stepped into your life and He has redeemed your life and He has freed your life. Maybe it's a substance abuse. Maybe it was a thought pattern. Maybe it was an anger issue. Maybe it was something. I don't know what it was. But God set you free. You were a slave to that. And some of you in this room are still slaves to it. And God wants to redeem you from it. God wants to set you free from it. And the beauty of the story of God's story in you is that God wants you who was once a slave to be set free. He wants you to remember that day. Coming back to that day, remembering that day is so important to you. Now, recently, whenever I graduated from seminary with my my doctor's degree, I had some people a little le- legitimately ask, ask me, some of them were jokingly asking me, what should we call you now, Mike? Dr. Mike? And I laughed. To be honest with you, I laughed. Because... I don't consider myself a doctor. I might have done the duty. I might have written the paper. I might have done all that kind of stuff. But I'm Mike. I've always been Mike and I will always be Mike. Because you know what Mike remembers about Mike? Mike remembers the day that he graduated from high school with a sixth grade reading level. Mike remembers the day that he went into college on probation day one into college and had to take remedial classes just to get me up to level of a college student. You know, yeah, I, I can look back and say, God did this, and it's absolutely the truth. All I can say is that we need to take time, and we need to stop, and we need to Remember. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4 says, The reward of humility is the fear of the Lord, and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Please, this week, would you just stop and remember about the day that you were a slave and God set you free? Number two, when we remember, when we reflect, it keeps life in perspective. It keeps life in perspective. When you get into this remembering and reflecting mode, you kind of lift up above life at about 30,000 feet and you look at the past and you look at the present and you look at the future and you begin to see life It's not some linear line that goes from the beginning of our birth to the end in our death. You begin to see life as cyclical. It goes in circles. It kind of comes back around and and back around. And sometimes you don't like the back arounds, but they kind of keep coming back around. And you begin to see life in a different perspective when we take time to remember and to reflect. And what can we learn from life? That's why he tells us in Deuteronomy 32, verse 7, he says, remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your Father, and He will show you your elders, and they will. See, there is an importance of remembering. We get a life perspective that we don't get when we're only looking at tomorrow, only looking at tomorrow's action list, only looking at the next big project. We need to lift ourselves up. We need to hover a little bit. And we need to see how God has delivered me from that and provided for me in here and how I went through this trial and God was there. I didn't go through it alone. And we need to rise above that and we need to understand as we're hovering above it that God is the God of my past and God is the God of my present and I can be assured that God is the God of my future. That's the value of remembering and reflecting. There are several things that I think in our culture that we need to take time to remember and reflect on. One of those is that we need to remember about wealth, all right? Our wealth, well, let me hear it. Here it is. It's not our bling, all right? All right? It's not our bling. We don't, it's not ours. And we need to just get that down. We need to read this verse together. Together, Deuteronomy 8, 18. Read it with me. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth. We need to remember that the wealth that we have, the, the, the jobs that we have, the opportunities that we have tomorrow to make more money is really not because we're some shrewd business person. It's because he's given us the power to make wealth. It was in 1923, a very significant meeting at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago when nine of the world's largest, most powerful, successful financiers met. Listen to this, listen to this lineup. The president of the largest independent steel company, the president of the largest utility company, the president of the largest gas company, the greatest wheat speculator, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, a member of the president's cabinet, uh, the greatest bear in Wall Street, the head of the world's uh, greatest monopoly, and finally the president of the Bank of the International Settlements were all present. What a lineup. All in a room, all talking about their wealth, all talking about the world's wealth. 25 years later, where are these wealthy individuals? 1948. Here's where Charles Schwab was. He had died bankrupt after living uh, borrowed money for the last five years of his life. Samuel Insull had died a fugitive of justice, penniless in a foreign land. Howard Hobson was insane. Arthur Critton died uh, abroad, insolvent. Richard Whitney had been, given, had been released from Sing Sing prison. Albert Fall was pardoned from prison uh, to die at home. Jesse Livermore died a suicide, as did Leon Frazier and Ivar Kruger. These were powerful money makers. I'll tell you what, if we don't remember, as Deuteronomy 8, 18 tells us, that it was God who gives us the power to make wealth. We will miss it. Let's remember that the bling, it's not ours. Number two, we need to remember worship. We need to remember what worship is. And that is, we need to realize it's not about me. This worship service isn't about you. We want to design it so that you can be brought into worship. But it's really not about you. Your life is not about you. Your life should be a continual act of worship. Psalm 78 verse 35 says, They they remembered that God was their rock the Most High God, their Redeemer. If you worship your job, wait till you get your pink slip and see how your God fails you. If you worship your 401k, just go look at it today and see how it fails you. If you worship your spouse, just look around the corner because they will fail you. We need to understand the perspective on life and that worship belongs to our Redeemer, our rock. Who is your rock? Remember Him. Fall in love with Him again afresh and anew. We need to come back to that as a nation. We also need to remember our ways. It's not my way. It's not my bling. It's not about me. It's not my way. I get to choose my own path. I get to do my own thing. It's not that. I want you to read with me Numbers chapter 15 verse 39. Remember. Notice each one of these has remember in there. Ironic. Remember all my commands and obey them. Then you will not turn away from me. And listen to the next statement. Follow your own wishes and desires. That's what we follow 90% of the time. Our own wishes, our own desires. Remember last week we talked about Solomon? When he starts ignoring the directional signs from God living after his own desires, we're in trouble at that point. Number three, when we remember, number one, it keeps us humble. When we remember, number two, it gives us a greater perspective on life. When we remember, number three, and we reflect, it moves us forward spiritually. Mike, how can you remember backward and then move forward? You can't do both at the same time. I'm saying you can. I'm saying we have to develop a mind. We have to develop a discipline that as we move forward, we are always looking back. It's that anchor to the Redeemer that we have, to that rock that we have that can give us the fortitude and the strength and the foundation to move forward. Soren Kierkegaard said it like this, we live forward but we can only think backward. There's a value in remembering Psalm chapter Excuse me, Psalm one forty three verse five says, "Remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands." Now think about that. If I would develop the discipline, if you would develop the discipline to literally journal if you have to, to write it down, to to chronicle it. Ironically, we're reading from the book of Chronicles. To chronicle the works of God in your life. How much would that give you faith and hope for the future? Life principle. Spiritual dementia is a sign of spiritual weakness. When we fail to remember, when we fail to stop and to reflect on what God has done, we fear tomorrow for what He won't do. But when we remember what He did, it gives us hope for what He will do. Think about it. Take time this week to remember the disciples. And can you imagine if you had been with Jesus? I know you and I would not have had a problem with this. But the disciples had fed 4,000 people with Jesus' help. With just a handful of fish and bread. Can you imagine that day? The the conversations that ensued. The the thought patterns that were going on. This is breaking all, all laws of nature. That God would do this. And literally they get in the boat after a brief encounter with the Pharisees, and they start going to the other side. Now, now just get the scene. And you go back and read Mark chapter 8 later on, alright? But you just this is the scene. And they get in the boat. And listen, one of them says, you know what? We forgot to pack a lunch. We forgot to get some of the bread from the multiplication of the 4,000. We forgot to get the bread Never mind that the bread maker was with them. All right, you see this? The bread maker, wonder bread maker number one, all right, is with them in the boat. He takes takes a few handful of fish and he feeds 4,000. God could take a crumb and multiply it enough to feed 12 disciples if he can feed 4,000. And literally, they're worried about where they're going to get their next meal. And the bread makers with them. This is what Jesus said. Notice the words, hardened hearts. Notice the word remember. Our hearts are, are your hearts hardened, Jesus said. Having eyes to see and having ears to hear. Do you not remember? See, we fear so much about tomorrow. We fear so much about the decisions that we make and the decisions that are before us. And God has just yesterday and last month and last year and last decade has done so much in our life to just erase the fear. We don't have to worry about the bread of tomorrow because we have the bread maker in our life. And whatever else it is that we need. I want us to stop this week and to remember. And he goes on in that passage actually in Mark's, Matthew's rendition of it, Matthew 16. He says, you all need to be careful, disciples. You're going to end up like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Religious people, but totally disconnected from me. I've given you a sheet in your worship guide this week that I want you to, to do an exercise. I want you to stop. I want you to reflect I want you to remember. And the band's going to come back up in just a moment. And and we're going to sing some more. But as we think about that and we get ready to reflect and remember, we're actually even going to build into our worship time just some time for you to just remain seated to remember and to reflect. But I want to to close with a a parallel story, okay, before the band comes up. I I want to close with this parallel story. I want to tell you a story about a man named Jonah. You've heard of Jonah, right? You know Jonah? He goes off and and does his own thing. God tells him to go to Nineveh, but he doesn't go to Nineveh. He decides to go his own way and do his own thing. And he's a prophet during about 700 B.C. Jeroboam II was king, and he was told to go to Nineveh and to to share the, the redemptive story of God. Now listen to this. You know what he does. He ends up in a fish. The fish actually ends up being his salvation, many scholars believe, because he would have drowned in the ocean had the fish not swallowed him and spit him up on land. So he becomes fish bait and gets thrown up on the land. But in the midst of this moment, he says these words in Jonah chapter 2, verse 7. If you want to read the prayer of Jonah whenever he's in this time of distress, he says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. I remember the Lord. And my prayer came to you and into your holy temple. I want to tell you another story to parallel this. The story of uh, in the book of Revelation of a church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a church that God used great things. Did great things through. Paul spent most of his missionary time in the church of Ephesus. Timothy was the pastor that followed. We have more about Ephesus, and we just finished a study on the book of Ephesus. There's more about Ephesus than anything else. But in the very last book written in Ephesus uh, to Ephesus was a letter in the book of Revelation. And the interesting thing is, is that God tells them, gives them a message in Revelation chapter two verse five. He says, "Remember, therefore, remember." Notice he said. Where you've fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. You know what happens? We have two stories. We have Ephesus. We have Jonah. Jonah remembered. And Jonah leaves, and he goes back to Nineveh, and he preaches the gospel. He preaches the story of redemption of God. And listen, 120,000 people repent. God does a great work through Jonah. It's a beautiful story of redemption. When he remembered, God told Ephesus to remember, but they didn't. There's no, there's no account in history that Ephesus ever remembered, repented, and did the works that they did at first. The sad tale of that is, is we know nothing of Ephesus today. In a couple of months, I'm going to be in the old city of Ephesus. I will be where the ruins of this old city was. And you know what? how many Christians there are in Ephesus today? Zero Point zero zero one percent. When we remember God does great works. When we forget, we become a piece, a piece of history. And that's it. Let's pray together. Father God, forgive us for not remembering. Forgive us for running too fast in this world. And missing you. Lord give us a week. Give us these moments. A few moments that we have together. Just to start the process of remembering. What you have done. To Just give us a, a hope of what you want to do. In and through us. Awaken us Lord. To our past. So we can anticipate our future.